I just emphasize the, you know, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, start doing and, you know, no matter the path you choose or take, there's always going to be lessons to be learned and they always seem daunting. And I mean, they are, <laughs> but you, uh, you climb a mountain one step at a time. So, you know, just get ready to build up a sweat and put one foot in front of the other and start climbing. But government can create the conditions necessary for businesses to expand and hire more workers. Welcome to Civic Thinker, the podcast for fearless doers, GovTech innovators, and social entrepreneurs striving to reshape our world. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Together, we'll unravel the mysteries, dismantle the barriers, and equip you with the tools to conquer the odds and achieve success. The answer is clear. For the people to win, politics as usual must lose. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. Ask what you can do for your country. Oh, we've got a special episode today. We're changing things up. Today we're going to talk to an entrepreneur like that, that Theodore Roosevelt would say is actually in the arena. Uh, someone whose fate is marred by blood and sweat and tears. Uh, our guest today is someone who had an early interest in drones. Well before we were worried about our, our neighbors spying on us or, you know, every realtor was using them to help sell homes and whatnot. And through his passion and interest in drones, he noticed a problem. Like, how do we register and identify these things and create a company to deal with it? Pierce Aerospace. Now, what's fascinating to me about this is that when we talk about drones and aerospace, Man, this is the world of the feds. This is the FAA, the Department of Defense, Homeland Security. And there are some entrenched behemoths in this space. Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, I mean, even SpaceX. So you know, I think of this as, as an entrepreneur. This is very much David versus Goliath. How does an entrepreneur who started out with no money, you know, no rich friends and contacts and, and whatnot going on, start and create something in this in this environment in this space so i hope you enjoy this conversation as much as i did with the founder of pierce aerospace aaron pierce like, like let's go back to 2016 when you first founded the company like what what at that time what was the problem you saw that you wanted to you wanted to fix yeah so a big problem and in- in reality, this problem that continues to persist today is that there wasn't a tremendous amount of data that the FAA could, or other government agencies could really capture from. So, you know, these types of things, I was, you know, looking at a couple different uh, viewpoints, a couple different lenses, seeing that, you know, what, what's really some of the biggest problems in the industry. And, you know, those are the things that I gravitate towards is, you know, let's go do the hard things. Um that data problem was one that seemed to be pretty hard for, for some reason. So I wanted to work towards solving it. And along the way, you know, we started to discover, hey, well, the thoughts that we have around identity are really something that also underpins the need for remote ID for a drone to be able to broadcast. It's, you know, who is this pilot? And we pivoted and focused on that niche after we got recognized by ICAO, the United Nations Aviation Agency, for our work on identification. And that really was the spark then that, you know, went, hey, 
this is really where the big problem is at. And we then pivoted to focus on that big problem. And in doing so, we sparked the interest of tech stars. We sparked the interest of the U.S. Air Force. And we've been off to the races ever since then. I'm guessing you had, especially since you knew the industry already, you had already been passionate about drones and whatnot. You probably probably had a lot of conversations with people before you pivoted, correct? Yeah. Nonstop data gathering, customer discovery, always gathering more information. Um, That's critical for any entrepreneur that's out there, constant data input and gathering. And the constant data gathering that we captured was really what helped us make that decision on the pivot. It wasn't just getting an invitation to go speak somewhere, but it was the, the validation of people afterwards, you know, multiple parties, different backgrounds, all, you know, nodding their heads north and south in agreement and going, yes, this is needed. This is a good idea. Oh, there's actual tangible evidence that there's a problem that's being solved here. And, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, that's crucial to take into consideration as a, as a very valid and weighted data point on where we may go next with, you know, our decision-making down this journey. I mean, you already had a lot of connections, so you were probably talking to a lot of the people you knew already. Did you ever cold outreach anybody or, um, you know, get referrals to talk to people? All of the above. (laughs) Okay. So all of the above. The big thing was getting out of, you know, getting out of the office. Um, I mean, even to this day, I will spend a significant time out on the road. Um, I'd say especially to this day, significant time out on the road, um, at least in my role in the company. And every, you know, founding team is going to look a little bit different, have some, you know, different skill sets. You won't have all the skill sets. But my role has really been the get out of the office, get in front of the customers, get in front of the partners, get in front of the, you know, varying different stakeholders and capture information. Then along the way, you know, meeting folks that would advocate and champion for us at the same time. And, you know, those people are are cherished to this day in terms of the role that they played in our journey. I, I mean, how did those conversations go? I mean, I like I like this too, because you're, you're out there talking to people and in some ways, even if you're not ready, you're generating interest. Yeah. Uh, the more conversations you have, you're planting seeds in a lot of folks, even if they're not ready to buy yet, or it's going to take some time. Uh, just knowing that someone's out there solving that probably gets their, their wheels turning. Yeah, no, I mean, the conversations went literally every kind of which way and direction that you could, you could get. Um, the, the key there is to kind of synthesize that data and really take it into, turn it into information and then turn that information into decision um, making is, is a com- key component to taking all of that disparate, um, those disparate conversations in. But for the most part, most of them trended towards, yeah, we were on onto something here and you know, continued to pursue that path and refine our pursuit along the path as we continued to go. Yeah, I, I just find, like if, if you're touching on the right pain, Everybody will talk to you. Yeah, hundred percent. That's everybody will talk to you, even if they don't realize they're talking to you. Yeah. Um, you know, we would have people that were indirect or adjacent, you know, to the pain, 
that would give us other little insights and inputs like, oh, that's fascinating. And, uh, you know, that, that helps to give you more ideas about how to address the pain then. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, I think that's one of the beauty of working in GovTech is, yeah, if, if you're hitting the right pain, every, everyone wants to solve it. Every, everyone wants to help you uh, for the most part. And that truly is accurate. Um, I mean, it got to a point where the contract that we have now has 11 different U.S. government customers signed on to it. And we've dug, we've looked to see if there's any metrics on this. We don't think any metrics have been kept on it, but like our one of our program managers has managed over 300 companies and 300 different contracts. And his response was, we've never seen this before. So that if you're hitting on it, everybody will, you know, kind of come along. Um, that right there was the data point that when we first captured that phase one of the contract, and then they, you know, stuck with us into phase two, we're like, Ooh, this is juicy and a very good problem to be solving. So you have this idea, you find this pain point. Are you, were you, uh, uh, from, from a billionaire's family? How did you fund, <laughs> uh, how did you get started? No, um, <laughs> no, a- absolutely not. This is a big thing I want to hit on. And I think this is something that investors are totally, you know, disconnected from and live in a reality distortion bubble for how a lot of really good and, you know, really put strong potential founders that are out there is, you know, we kept on having investors tell us, just go raise some friends and family money. And I'd always kind of, you know, chuckle a little bit and go like, you know, we run in different circles, right? Um, We don't have, you know, friends or family that's willing to, you know, just cut a $50,000 check just because they got it Grandpa's not going to give his social security check to- No, no. (laughs) Yeah, that's not gonna, you know, cut it, you know, family, by all means, my, you know, family would help as much as they possibly could, but it's like a little bit of a different thing here, folks. And, you know, that's something that early on, you know, anyone that we spoke to from an investor side would always just go, well, you know, you need to raise a friends and family round first for us to be serious and take a, a an interest in this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're first off, you're an angel. Like, isn't this like, this is the sweet spot in the, you know, growth trajectory of early venture, early startup and entrepreneurship where you guys are supposed to come in and shine. But at least in the Midwest, these folks always wanted to punt and, you know, ask for something that frankly doesn't exist for a lot of Midwestern um, founders, which I found fascinating. So what was your route? How did, how did you overcome these challenges? The not having the friends and family around the investors shooting you down? We would, uh, you know, worked part-time still for a a good chunk of the early days, getting up and going. Um, frankly, you know, continued on the student loans for a little bit. Um, that was a thing, but we started to win non-dilutive funding. Um, and we became really revenue focused and 
we were able to get grants. Um, I mean, if it weren't for the state, the grants that were available through the state of Indiana, we wouldn't exist. So I'm always grateful and very thankful to the state of Indiana, the Indiana Economic, Economic Development Corporation, where those funds originate from, and you know the ability to get access to that capital to, you know, build something innovative, was absolute necessity. And then the SBIR contracts that we started winning through the Air Force. Um, those were the things that allowed us to really start to scale up and build and grow the company. And, you know, those are, are, those aren't grants. Those are real contracts. You know, you have to perform work to them and we did perform work to them and we, um, you know, went through the phase one processes. We've gone through the phase two processes. And like, we can't share who yet, but literally 48 hours ago, we signed a contract for a phase three and we'll, you know, have, have shown that full trajectory and that full path of where we can convert now, which passed that gap where a lot of companies don't get past phase two, but we got past that and are continuing to grow, you know, still relatively modestly sized company, but are now on that you know, trajectory of, Hey, this is a serious thing that, you know, government has now come through and said, from a phase three perspective, we'd like to continue with this. And that's, you know, from our perspective, a, a pretty, like it wasn't a massive contract, but seeing that they're willing to do the work on their end to go hit that, you know, that next step, that phase three contracting, we're like, okay, that's, tangible and that is very real and you know very exciting for us for the next looking at that next chapter in the company well let's backtrack a little bit in case we're using terms that people don't uh know or understand here so yeah yeah, let's go let's let's start with the let's start with the state grants uh and you said the iedc i think yep indiana economic development corporation okay so you know, uh, if, if they're in Indiana, obviously that's uh, the place they want to look up. But assuming most states probably have something similar or might have something similar, they all have economic development. Usually there's, I mean, if there's if it, there's good economic development going on in a state, there's oftentimes grants that are available and out there. Um, it's just a matter of digging and finding where they're at. Um, we got pretty good at digging and finding where the grants were at in Indiana because we had to first survive them. For surviving and there are you know three distinct rules to entrepreneurship and i say distinct you'll understand the distinctions if you've been through entrepreneurship but they are survive survive and survive you know so we applied one of those rules um to being able to dig up that non-dilutive you know grant funding grant from the state and then you know we would, Indiana's got a great program where they'll actually match a grant to a uh, SBIR contract from the government, which is a small business innovation research program uh, that is administered by the Small Business Administration. Um, so they, there's a tax that gets put on uh, all the government agencies if they've got budgets over a certain you know number. It's a, it's big. Like federal, federal government federal agencies, government, right? Yeah, yeah federal government. Um, and you know, they then will do small business innovation research and the DOD 
has contracts outside the DOD, they're grants like National Science Foundation. Um, you know, you can get a grant to accelerate or, you know, spin out research you're doing at the university or, or some sort of entrepreneurial pursuit. But the DOD is no kidding contracts that have sole source justification that is attached to them as well. Um, so you've met a competitive process when you've gone through one of those uh, and been awarded one of those contracts with the DOD. And then you can use that to really start to navigate and accelerate your your pathway into the federal marketplace. So that's great. So you, you guys, you were uh, hopping along, struggling to make ends meet, and you researched these grants and you found some grants that would help help you continue operations, continue what you were doing. And you leveraged the SBIR as well to uh, help fund your endeavor. So in the beginning, you didn't really, uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't necessarily have investors in the beginning. You were just scrapping it together, making it work with what you could find. Yep. Very scrapping in the beginning. And then, uh, and then you, you use that grant money and then you, uh, you became profitable or probably not. No. Um, yeah, we would, take that, that funding in, turn it into research and immediately invest it into our forward progress. And, nice. you know, continuous improvement, development of product, um, growth of team, new hires, um, just continuous nonstop development. And then at some point you took investment, correct? We did. So okay. we, we, you know, continued growing, continued developing. And I had, you know, through that, that process after we initially had the um, attraction out of ICAO in the United Nations when the Air Force and Techstars expressed interest. Uh, I actually got in, invited to be an entrepreneur in residence with Techstars for the first Air Force Accelerator program. And I'm sure at Techstars, you probably had uh, the networking there was probably. Yeah, the, the networking was fantastic. And, you know, that's something that I kept in mind as well so that as we continued to grow, I wanted to make sure that my team was able to go through an accelerator on the other side of the table. And so that's who, you know, one of our first investors was, was Techstars. Um, they brought us into the Techstars Space Accelerator. Um, Jonathan Finsky was the managing director there. He believed in us and, you know, uh, backed us through the Techstars program. But I mean, I think the point being is that it opened up the doors for, uh, yeah, that, and, that helped and, to open up the doors. Once Techstars is on the cap table, other investors see that and, you know, they, they go, oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, we had a small family office then who understands the DOD landscape. We continued working with them and Techstars to continue to build out the company. We've had our advisors invest in us at this point also and are showing to others that, hey, this is real, this is valuable, and this is going to make a difference in the long run. So, I mean, reflecting back, what kind of complexities or challenges have, have hit you now that you're trying to sell to the federal government that maybe you didn't foresee? Yeah, so, you know, not even looking back, this is a, a daily complex environment. I mean, I, as we're talking today, we're looking at a looming government shutdown. Whenever this yeah. you know gets published, you know, who knows where we'll be after that. But um, customer discovery in the federal government is a little different from commercial customer discovery. 
you know, once you're able to make your way in there, show your proof points and work with the customer, they, I mean, we've had fantastic engagement with our customers and our, our technical points of contact at those organizations to date. And they've been, you know, rather strong advocates for us inside the government. That's a really rewarding aspect of working with government is that, you know, when they start championing internally and you see the results of that in, you know, additional contracting, that's, that's super rewarding. You know, the, the commercial side is rewarding as well. We've, our products have been out on the market commercially since May of this year now. And, um, I mean, we can't keep them in stock, like, which is a fantastic problem to have. So like we just sold out of another batch of products now and we haven't even tried marketing. So it's been fun sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. Well, I mean, are there mistakes or missteps? Like if you could go back? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, just trying to pinpoint one, (laughs) there was probably several, um, Like knowing what you know now, because you've been doing it for a while now and you've... Uh... Knowing what I know now, I'd probably scare myself from trying to do this. <laughs> um, don't be frightened. Just dive it's in. It's a true it. true entrepreneur. If I, yeah. <laughs> if I'd have known how much work it would have taken, I would have never done it. Right, right. No, um, I mean, just learning the, the lingo in some cases, like you may say something that, you know, means something different in commercial or you know, everyday life versus government. And, you know, people will probably figure that out and understand it. It, it, But just being really open and honest with everyone, especially early on, you're like, hey, I'm learning here. Please tell me if I'm wrong or outside of my left or right. And oftentimes, you know, someone will take more of a mentorship approach with you rather than a, you know, backhand you approach. And I think that is, you know, walk into it with, you know, being humble, being, you know, a learning attitude and mentality. And I mean, I would maintain that always, you know, doesn't matter if you've been doing government work for 12 days, 12 years, or an entire career, uh, there's stuff that you just simply aren't going to capture in your entire career of doing that. And always being willing to learn and being open is the best way to achieve success in that. Um, I mean, Gary, our CTO, he's, he worked in government for, you know, he, he'd throw something at me if I mentioned how long, but it was enough to get a retirement check out of it. And, you know, he's always learning as well. You know, we're always learning and take that approach of, you know, Hey, if we don't know something here, we're open to being told. Um, and you know, aren't going to pretend that we know everything. So, and I that's think that's good. the best approach to, to anything in life. That's so good. I, I like how you phrase that too, because we've been talking uh, with with other guests here about not going into those conversations thinking that you've done all the research and and telling telling them how they should be doing things, right? And uh, that that usually fails when you go in that route. And I I like how you're I like your approach about learning and trying to be an open mind and letting them letting them teach you. Yep. Yeah, and you know it's. Everyone's always learning, even on their side. You know, we've seen, you know, folks on the government side make a mistake before and, you know, we don't, it's okay. We all figure it out and, you know, are able to be successful and continue moving on and, you know, focusing on that mission success at the end of the day. And if you don't mind me asking, like, how, how big is the team 
today? We have 11 people on the team today. So you're, I mean, in, in the federal space, especially uh, the customers you're serving, the DO Department of Defense and those kinds of things, in, in the scheme of things there, you're a, you're a tiny pebble in the huge corporations and companies that you're facing. How, um, how do you succeed? How do you succeed against these big, big players? So that's the thing that there's a lot of folks, and, and this is just our experience. It, others have had different experiences, which drive some of their viewpoints, perspectives, biases, all of that. But from our perspective, I don't usually use the word against when we think about you know working in the federal space when there's other big companies out there. Um, we've had tremendous success in working with much larger companies to date. Uh, as example, um, we worked with some folks over at Northrop Grumman that you know have been big advocates for us, and we've you know cherished their advocacy and. They actually worked us through the legal process with Northrop Grumman Corporate to establish the first ever internally funded mentor-protege partnership program in Northrop Grumman's history. And they did that with us at Pierce Aerospace, which was super awesome. You know, we've integrated with several of their different systems that are programs of record within the you know, DOD. We've done live fire experiments with them, which is super awesome. Um, you know, go kill some drones with some 30 millimeter high explosive <laughs> ammunition and have our stuff synchronized into that, you know, decision-making process of that system. Um, that that's always a good time. Um, uh, we've worked with, you know, other large companies uh, across the board. Um, we can't share yet, but on the contract that we just won, we actually have a multi-billion dollar company that is a subcontractor to us in that, project now. Um, so it's more often than not, we find ways where we can team with those larger companies and to team in a successful manner. And it can really be a mutually beneficial type of a relationship for a small business to work with a large business. And it's really just finding the right individuals inside those large businesses to go and make that uh, relationship be successful. Uh, man, is there anything I didn't ask? Anything you want to share that didn't come up? I just emphasize the, you know, if you're interested in entrepreneurship, start doing. And, you know, no matter the path you choose or take, there's always going to be lessons to be learned. And they always seem daunting. And I mean, they are, <laughs> but you, uh, you climb a mountain one step at a time. So, you know, just get ready to build up a sweat and put one foot in front of the other and start climbing. And Aaron, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck and uh, good luck everyone else out there. Hey, and that wraps us up for today. I hope that you learned something from this episode and, and that you enjoyed listening to it. If you would, please go to the website civicthinker.com and enter your email address. That way you can be in the loop if we push out more content or maybe someday do a future event. Oh, and we'd love to hear your suggestions on topics as well. So drop us a line at podcast at civicthinker.com and let us know if there's any questions or areas you'd like us to explore further.